Hello and welcome to Sign for Uncut, a podcast for developers about building great products. Today, I'm excited to welcome Nigel Poulton. Nigel, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, my pleasure. I'm excited. Great. So, Nigel, please uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Okay. Just shout at me if I talk too long, okay? Because <laughs> I do this quite a lot. So, I'm Nigel, and um, I refer to myself as a techaholic sometimes. Like, I just love technology. Even as a kid, I always just loved it. So here's a quick story for you. When I was about 16 or 17 years old, I signed up at a local college to do an evening class learning to program C. So the way that it worked was it was on the same evening that Star Trek The Next Generation would play on BBC Two in the UK. So I would, every week before this C class, I would watch an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation to like pump me up and get me excited to go along to my C class because one of the things that I loved about Star Trek was all the computers and being able to talk to the computer and command the data and stuff like that. I was just, I dreamt of living in a world like that, yeah? And of course, that world didn't exist, but the closest I could get to it was by having a PC and learning to program it and get it to do stuff for me. So that's like me at my core. Of course, I have like other interests and things. I've got a family. I like certain sports and things. I kind of like cars. But at my core, I just love technology. Like I dream about it when I go to bed at night. And if I could have one dream, I'd want to live in the future when we're more integrated with technology and you know, maybe we could explore space and time and stuff like that. So yeah, that's me. That's great. That's great. Yeah. From there, I guess it progressed slowly to where you are right now. What were like the next steps that you did? Yeah. Yeah. So I was super fortunate that my dad bought me a PC. I still remember my first PC and I know a lot of listeners, this might not mean anything to them. I'm getting kind of old now, but it was a 386SX33 with half a megabyte of RAM and a 40 megabyte hard drive. And the guy who sold it told me, and I remember this as clear as the day when I was there, never in my life would I be able to fill a 40 megabyte hard drive. <laughs> Check that out, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I was super fortunate to be able to have this computer and I fell in love with it and love to tinker with it and play with it. I eventually went to full-time college in the UK, which isn't the same as university. It's like a precursor to university, where I took a computing course, and part of that was learning to program a language, which probably isn't an active development anymore, but it was called FoxPro, which was a kind of database-related language. But then I got my first real job. Well, I suppose like a lot of people, my first job in technology, I was sort of resetting passwords and I was changing backup tapes and creating user accounts and things. But because I love the technology so much, I was able to progress really quickly within the organization. And at that time in my life, books were super important to me. In fact, I still have a copy of the most important book from my whole life. I should have had it available really to show you. I know this is audio only, but I bought a book when I was a probably about 21, 22 years old, called Mastering Windows Server 2000 by Mark Manassi. I love the book, right? 
It's a huge, like 1500 page hardback book. In fact, I took it on my honeymoon when I got married. I read it by the side of the pool. I read it at the beach. So we went to Santorini, one of the Greek islands for our honeymoon. And I took it up to, I forget the name of the town on the North coast where everybody goes with their boyfriends and girlfriends and we watch the sunset and there's me with my technology book reading it. That book was really important to me. It was a tool that allowed me to really push my career forward as an individual, right? Hey everyone, Sanford has published an open source book called CICD with Docker and Kubernetes. It combines just the right amount of best practices and practical advice for shipping cloud native apps. Download your free copy today at sanfordci.com. I always said to myself then that if I got the opportunity later in my life or my career to give back to the community in a way or to write a book, then I would do that. But of course, like I also bought other books that were actually not very good. And I'd be really disappointed because I'd spend ages trying to pick the right book. I would spend my hard-earned money on it. And sometimes I would read bits and be like, I still don't understand after I've read it. And that really annoyed me. So I always thought, yes, one, I want to be able to write a book one day to give back to the community. But look, if I ever do get the opportunity to write a book, I will make it the best book that I absolutely can so that nobody will buy it and think, well, I read, let's just say for argument's sake, what a Kubernetes deployment object is. I read what Nigel said about that and I still don't understand. I was like, that's never going to happen with one of my books. I'm going to make sure that everyone that buys it gets great value. So I was super fortunate enough to be able to write a book and I've written three books since then. And I also do video training courses as well, which a kind of a modern spin or a modern interpretation of the old technology book, I think. But with the advantage that you can watch video and the interaction between me and whoever watches my videos is, I don't know, it feels to me at least like it's a lot better than people that read my books. I can have more of a conversation like you and I have now, you know, and I can make jokes and things like that. And we can make it fun, easier than it is to do in a book. Because sometimes when you read something in a book, it doesn't come across the way you intend it. So anyway, look, I love technology. I'm still super passionate about it. Maybe I would rather be a footballer, like a soccer player. But if I couldn't be a footballer, which I can't, and I had to start my career again, 100%, I'd do exactly the same as what I'm doing now. So I'm dead fortunate like that. I understand that. So I write books and I make video training courses, mainly about Docker and Kubernetes. And I'm telling you, they are so much fun. Like I have fun making them. And I get people telling me all the time, like they have a lot of fun listening to them and watching the videos. So that is me. Great. Great. So, yeah, I want to connect what you said that you kind of see as those courses is a maybe more rich medium than just a book. In a prep part, I shared that I watched one of your courses, like on getting started with Kubernetes. It was like a long time ago now, in 2018. And yeah, there is that... Um, emotion that comes through the voice and through those moving pictures of how you are connecting a service to a pod and all that. And it's hard to convey on paper, really. And yeah, I agree with you on that. Yeah. Just a quick story, right? So when I'm recording these videos, of course, I'm speaking into a microphone in my office at home and there's no audience or anything like that. And 
once a long time ago, I think my wife came in and she's seeing me doing this recording and I'm throwing my hands around and I'm getting excited and I'm talking and she's like, what on earth are you doing? There's nobody there. And I'm like, I know. But what I would want people to appreciate, anybody that takes my courses, is that that is 100% genuine that. And it all goes back to what I said at the beginning, that I just love technology. So when I'm talking about it and teaching it, this energy and this vibe and this excitement that I've got inside of me just comes bursting out. Yeah. And uh, it really shows. It really shows. It's very important to be all in. Either you're all in or, yeah, there are no results. Okay. There are many things going on in the industry lately. I mean, always. But now we, a couple of years ago with Docker, Docker was something that, you know, kind of never existed before in that form. It was so powerful. And continuing, uh, we ended up with Kubernetes as something that should run it at scale and help us, you know, manage those containers. So I'm really interested in hearing how do you see that progression on one hand, and also what are you seeing from teaching uh, maybe this year? What are the trends and uh, maybe what are also some of the challenges that people are seeing when learning all these things? Okay. Yeah. So assuming that I understand or interpret the question right, what I would say from like a teaching perspective, teaching people to learn about containers and Docker and Kubernetes and what have you, I think the coolest thing that I would say, and this isn't from my side as, well, I suppose it is from my side as the person teaching, but it also from the side of the person that's trying to learn, is that we live in like a golden age of technology and a golden age of learning technology. So let me qualify that right. Early in my career, like I was saying, I was reading books to learn right. And very early in my career, we changed from using a technology called Novell Netware to Windows NT4. This was like when I was setting up user accounts and resetting passwords and stuff like that. So I bought like this volume of books that I would read. But I mean, we all know that reading and even watching videos is only part of the learning journey, right? You've got to get your hands on. Otherwise, you will never fully learn something and appreciate it. So what I did was I went to my boss and pretty much at the time I had to beg to borrow an old PC and an old monitor. You know, those monitors that weren't like thin, flat screen monitors, they were like, I mean, you could break your back almost trying to lift those up. So I had this really old, noisy PC. Actually, I had two monitors on it and two keyboards and two mice and this KVM switch thing that would let me switch between the two in the corner of my bedroom when I was newly married. And I would have to put CDs in to boot up NT domains and things. And, you know, another great thing about learning or another important thing about learning is you've got to break things to fully understand how they work. And I think we all know when we've done it, when we've broken things or we've, you know, lived through P1 outages and things, those are some of the times where we learn the most. Well, anyway, so I would want to break things, but then to build it again was like six hours of installing through 10 CDs or whatever. Whereas now, and especially with the cloud and containers and Kubernetes and things, you can spin stuff up on your laptop. You can open your cloud. Sometimes you can do it for free. You can tear it down. You can build it again, like almost at the click of your fingers. It's so easy to take a book or a video course or something else, 
and follow along and actually get your hands on to the point now where there is no excuse for any of us to say that it's too difficult or complex for us to learn something. Now, look, we'll probably talk about complexity separately afterwards when we come to focus maybe a bit more on Kubernetes. But I think as a learner or as somebody wanting to learn, honestly, maybe a lot of you are young and haven't had to go through what I have, but it has never been easier to learn something. There are more books out there now. There are more videos out there now. There are more hands-on learning platforms, and it's never been cheaper or easier to learn something. So I see I see people wanting to learn containers and Docker and Kubernetes because they know that if they don't, that they will probably get left behind. And I quite often think about it like um, sort of midway through my career, or maybe a little bit earlier than midway. But anyway, when I first came across VMware, and it was like an absolute game changer, if I hadn't bothered to learn VMware, where would I be now in my career? And then when we look at containers and then layering Kubernetes in as well, it's a much more fundamental and disruptive change than VMware was before. So that if you don't get on board with containers and Kubernetes, you'll be left behind even more than I would have been if I hadn't learned VMware. Because like VMware, you could just take your applications as they were, lift them and drop them into a virtual machine. And yes, you got faster provisioning and it was cheaper and all of that kind of stuff. But the application was still the same and the way you touched it and managed it was the same. Whereas with containers and Kubernetes, we're sort of refactoring our applications more, building them in a more cloud-native microservices way, if you don't mind me throwing some buzzwords in there. But we're changing the fundamentals of the app and the infrastructure in ways that like, if you don't get on board, I don't know, you will be left behind. Does that get to your question? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I can uh, connect to this in a way, in some nerdy terms. And uh, I heard this, I think um, the guy is called Fred Wills. He used to work at Docker. That, you know, in the times when you were installing something on a physical hardware, you maybe needed, you know, a couple of hours to set something up. And then as we got, you know, cloud VMs, okay, now you can boot the VM in eight seconds. So it's going in the orders of magnitude. Uh, I agree with you. This is one of those ships that you want to be on, for sure. Oh, most definitely, yeah. Yeah. And uh, through teaching maybe Kubernetes, that's the kind of the last thing in this continuation of things, what do you see as maybe the biggest challenge when people are adopting it and learning? Yeah, so I think Kubernetes as a platform... So just real quick, like you can have your cloud infrastructure or your data center infrastructure underneath it, VMs, cloud instances, networking services, and things like that. And then you layer Kubernetes on top of that and deploy your applications to Kubernetes, which is abstracting all of that stuff underneath. A little bit like an operating system used to abstract CPUs and DIMMs and network stacks and things like that. Kubernetes is a complex beast. And I don't think I'm doing it justice when I say this, right? But I came from more of a Windows background early on in my career. And when I switched to Linux, I don't mean any offense to anybody that is heavily involved with Windows, okay? But I felt that Linux was more powerful, but so much more complex to learn. And Kubernetes being that kind of operating system or Linux of the cloud, like abstracting all of the infrastructure bits below, is massively 
complex, right? So I see people struggling with it all the time and almost being forced into deploying to Kubernetes without having enough sort of knowledge. I mean, to kind of steal a term, most people that seem to be deploying applications to Kubernetes, when I say most, let me caveat that, like a lot of people deploying to Kubernetes are deploying with just enough Kubernetes knowledge. And that worries me. And I feel like it worries a lot of them as well that like, that's okay to deploy something with just enough knowledge of the underlying platform when things are going well, but then when they're not going well, like, do you have what is needed to sort of troubleshoot it and to dig deep and to fix it? And I don't know, like, that's really hard. Like Kubernetes is sort of big and complex, right? There's lots of moving parts to it, but then Kubernetes itself is like a cloud-first technology. Like you can run it in your own data center, of course, right? But most of the time you're deploying it to a public cloud and that's moving and iterating so fast. And then Kubernetes is moving and iterating so fast. So you've got this massive sort of platform that's hard to learn, even if you were to deploy a stable version today and the next version was going to be in a year's time, which it isn't, by the way. Generally, we see four major releases a year. But even if it was one release a year, it's so big and complex that it would take you a year to learn it. But the problem is there's four releases a year. This huge thing is moving fast. Hey, I'm going to take a quick break here and tell you that Sanford has a new book out called CICD with Docker and Kubernetes. If you are looking to deploy cloud-native apps, it's going to show you the most productive way of doing that. And the best of all, it's free. Download your free copy today at sam4ci.com. I feel like Kubernetes is not for everyone, but it's being marketed almost or painted as if it is for everyone. Like for sure, Kubernetes does loads of great things for loads of people, okay? But if you do not have a specific need for Kubernetes right now, don't just pick it up and deploy to Kubernetes to be cool. Because if you don't get it right and you don't fully understand it, you're going to put yourself into like a world of hurt. Don't get me wrong. It's super cool and it's super exciting and it does so many great things for so many people. But you have to understand what you're biting off when you decide to go down that Kubernetes route. And look, and I'm not plugging myself here. I just plug the whole world and ecosystem right there are more books out there than there ever have been. There are more video courses out there than there ever have been. There's more hands-on learning places than there ever have been. So your opportunities to learn it are better than ever. But um, I feel like if you don't love technology, you're going to find it hard to keep up with Kubernetes and you're going to get sort of frustrated and sick of it at some point. But if you do love it like me, like I love the always having to learn a new, you know, new stuff. But again, I don't run a production environment. I train people mostly these days. And I have run production environments in large financial environments in the past. And I would be super, super cautious deploying Kubernetes to production in like a real world financial services environment for sure. Yeah. And I can totally relate to that. 
because there are a lot of things which are maybe not even directly connected to Kubernetes, but just as a reality of the world. There is a lot of networking involved in Kubernetes. Everything is just becomes distributed. Nothing is in the same CPU cache or in the RAM. It's a bit further away, and we know that network can be hard or <laughs> will always be hard. And um, while you were talking about this, like uh, maybe a good analogy, maybe not, but... You know, I'm kind of a camera nerd. And then there are those like professional cameras that have, you know, 50 buttons on them. And then after a while, you know, they kind of move those great features down, but simplify them. And now you have point and shoot cameras, not now, but, you know, since a long time ago. So there have been a number of products that uh, had that journey that they became really complex. And then another version was created, you know, for the let's say, average people, <laughs> or how they put it for the rest of us. So do you maybe see any movement in that area, or is it possible that it's going to happen? Some simplified distribution of Kubernetes for the rest of us? Let me give you some examples then. Um, but before I do that, I'm not a camera nerd, but because I do videos and stuff, I have a camera, a Sony A7. And I'm led to believe it's a really great camera, right? But I only ever use it on like the auto mode. Now, about two or three weeks ago, I had to use it in a manual mode for one of our other businesses that we have that's not technology related. And it was super cool to be able to watch some YouTube videos and actually find out how to go through all the menus when I needed to. But for the most part, just be able to do the auto mode and you know let it do all the complex stuff for me. But back to Kubernetes, right? So Two things I would bring up, right? So I'm an advocate for us having, and we don't have this yet, right? But I'm an advocate for us having like an equivalent of a long-term stable release of Kubernetes. So if you know Ubuntu, Linux is probably the most famous one that has long-term stable releases, I think every two years. So there was 16.04 from 2016, 18.04 from 2018. Now we have Ubuntu, Linux 20.04. And you get long-term support on them, and people tend to pick them to develop their applications or their production applications on because they know it's going to be stable, and then they can get good, solid support for it. Now, I would love to see something like that from Kubernetes. Look, I'm not in favor of four major releases a year, right? Two, maybe three, but then have at least one of those say, this is going to be the equivalent of a long-term stable release. We don't have that at the moment, but because of everything that's been going on in the world recently, the releases special interests group that is in charge of like the release cycle for Kubernetes has decided to kind of slow things down a little bit. And I kind of hope that that will then lead into maybe next year, we'll be able to have some better conversations around, okay, let's have something more long-term stable. Like for instance, like Docker in the early days, right? New releases of Docker were like, I mean, I remember being on the nightly builds, right? And that's not fun. <laughs> yeah. Whereas now the current release of Docker of the community edition is 1903 something. So from way back in 2019, we do expect 2003 to drop quite soon, but like an annual lease is like, I'm loving it, right? So I think a move towards like a long-term stable might be a good thing. But also in the meantime, a great on-ramp to Kubernetes and something that simplifies for a lot of people is the hosted Kubernetes platforms in the cloud. So Amazon and Google, 
and Microsoft, Azure, and people all have a hosted Kubernetes service where basically you log on to their cloud portal and you say, look, whoever your cloud provider is, please just give me Kubernetes, right? You please take care of the high availability, the performance, maybe give me a few knobs to tweak when it comes to upgrades, right? Like how soon behind like upstream do I want to be and and a few knobs like that. But aside from that, you take care of all of the infrastructure stuff and just let me care about deploying and managing my applications, yeah? Now, in doing that, right, you have to understand that that's a decision you're making to almost outsource the responsibility of the performance and the high availability and what have you to your cloud provider. And not everybody is comfortable doing that and not everybody is allowed to do that, okay? But if you are, that is like a super slick way to get something that is quote-unquote production-grade Kubernetes with just like a few clicks, right? And of course, you have to pay like a monthly fee or or an hourly fee for the use of the control plane and what have you. But 2019 was a massive year for people that wanted to use Kubernetes saying, look, I can't be bothered with it. And in fact, it's not core for me or for my company or for my team to actually learn how to build a highly available Kubernetes cluster. I don't ever envision myself wanting to do that maybe but I have a trusted cloud provider and I'm going to just let them take care of all of that and I will deploy and manage my applications. Now, you still have to learn about Kubernetes pods and services and deployments and stateful sets and config maps and secrets and operators. And look, the list is still long, right? But it does take away one potential hurdle there. And I was just playing around with Linode Kubernetes engine, LKE, recently, And I reckon, and I'm not a shill for them or anything like that, but I reckon, hand on heart, it is the easiest Kubernetes deployer I have ever seen. It's like three options. Give it a name. Tell me like maybe how many nodes you want. Tell me, do you want it in Sydney? Do you want it in the UK? Do you want it in the States or wherever? Boom. And it builds the cluster for you. In fact, I was kind of like, oh, well, where are the buttons if I want to press them? So I'm just saying that like even in the hosted Kubernetes, you can go from super simple where there's hardly any buttons to click. And I'm not speaking specifically to Linode Kubernetes engine here, but I'm saying something like that might not be for production for you, but it might be great for development. And then for production, you might want to go with one of the others that gives you a little bit more control, but still takes care of all of like the non-strategic sort of infrastructure work for you. So I think like, yeah, If I was to summarize, like a long-term stable release is something that's close to my heart in what I want to see in the future. But hosted Kubernetes on your trusted cloud provider is like that sort of simple way to at least get yourself a cluster and start playing around. Yeah, I would say that for the large majority of people using something which is pre-installed and pre-configured for you is just fine. And the higher availability that Google or AWS are going to offer you is maybe going to be better than what you can you know, do for yourself. <laughs> more often than not, they know more about high availability and performance than you do, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And there is one very interesting thing that uh, we touched upon, and that's that you're essentially not vendor locked in. So you mentioned four brands here. And, you know, if you really want to, for whatever reason, you can kind of, you know, get up and get out of AWS and walk over and use Google. And it will not cost you. You haven't vendor locked in yourself for the next decade, which is fantastic. 
Yeah, so let me just say conceptually for that, for anybody that is super new to Kubernetes and is like, what even is it, right? This isn't a perfect comparison, right? But I think it gets the point across. Back in early in my career, like I was super passionate about Compaq and then HP servers when HP bought Compaq. You know, the whole HP versus Dell servers. And then Cisco came along with their own servers. And I used to be super passionate about like HP or Compaq being the best. But then I got to the point where I was like, look, at the end of the day, none of it really impacts the application and the end user. They're all pretty much as good as each other, right? And as long as you're running Windows or Linux on top of an HP server versus a Dell server, your application doesn't care, right? As long as you've got Linux or Windows running somewhere, you can move your application to a different server. And of course, VMware came along and made it even simpler, right? What I would say is just envision Kubernetes as almost the same for your cloud provider, right? If you are deploying your applications to Kubernetes, like we used to deploy directly to Windows or Linux, then it doesn't really matter whether you're AWS or your Azure or your GKE or somebody else underneath. Now, don't get me wrong. A lot of these platforms, these cloud platforms, provide you additional services like you know some of their managed databases and things that if you are then leveraging those, it might be harder to move your application. But if you put as much of your application onto native Kubernetes as you can, picking it up and plonking it on a different cloud in six months' time, if you decide you want a different cloud, is way easier than if you are not deploying to Kubernetes. Because Kubernetes does all that abstraction like Windows or Linux does. The stuff below, like, like at the end of the day, I know people do still have valid reasons for caring which model of CPU and you know whether it's NVMe, high-performance disks and stuff. Most of the time you don't, right? And I think we'll get to that point where most of the time we're not bothered if it's Amazon's instances and virtual private network underneath or if it's Azure's. Look, it's a network and it's a cloud instance that just runs our applications. They're all great, right? So we'll move between which one. And Kubernetes potentially going forward makes that easier and easier and easier, I hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it will, definitely, definitely. Okay, great. So we mentioned uh, you're getting started with Kubernetes course. And uh, you said that you are just working on an update which is like two or three years old. Maybe you can just share with our listeners where they can find it, when it's going to be released, what's cool about it. Yeah, so everything's cool about it, obviously. <laughs> the easiest place to see everything I've got, video courses and books, is my website, which is nigelpolton.com. I'm at Nigel Poulton on Twitter. I'm Nigel Poulton on LinkedIn, all the different places. And I love to connect with people and talk about technology, right? On the books front, I have a book called Docker Deep Dive, and I have a book called The Kubernetes Book. Both will take you from zero to 60 within a single book. That sounds kind of cheesy, but it's kind of what it is. I've tried to write both books from the perspective that you don't already need to know what containers and Kubernetes and stuff are. I want to start at the beginning and explain everything from the ground up. From a video courses perspective, oh my goodness. I mean, most of my video courses are on pluralsite.com. But I've got all the way from like super high level, what even is Docker and Kubernetes, like if you're not even sure what a container is, to getting started with Kubernetes, getting started with Docker, like those are sort of deploying your first applications, simple hello world stuff. 
Then I've got a Docker deep dive video course, which kind of gets into the weeds of how it all works. So that if you want to go to production with Docker, you've got that solid understanding that, you know, when things break, I've got the kind of the skills and the tools to be able to dig deeper. And I also have a Kubernetes deep dive course, which is on a different website called acloud.guru. But if you just go to nigelpolton.com and click books or videos, you can see everything that I've got. And I'm busy working on a new version of getting started with Kubernetes so that it's bang up to date. After that, I'll be a new version of getting started with Docker. And I'm just go forward, refreshing those, keeping them up to date, keeping them as fun as possible, as hands-on as possible, as many examples as possible. But I am one of those people that I love technology So I love teaching it and I love to just connect with everybody as well. I have to caveat this, right? Just because I've written books and I've done video courses absolutely does not mean that I know everything. And I am super busy like everybody else as well, right? I have had people direct message me in the past with questions that are so hard that like I think the core maintainers of the Docker and Kubernetes projects probably couldn't answer either. So like, don't get sad if you ping me a question and I'm like oh yeah I don't actually know the answer to that I mean it would probably take me a week of testing to try and find out so but more often than not I love to connect and I'm more than happy to help where I can that's great great so thank you Nigel it was great talking to you yeah pleasure I've enjoyed it thank you bye